Hi, this is Patty Davis. I'm a psychic intuitive and medium coming to you from Humboldt County in Northern California. And I'm Judea, a psychic intuitive energy healer coming to you from the island of Kauai. And together we are Spirit Speakers Podcast, where we meet to discuss a variety of topics from two different psychic vantage points. Welcome to our anniversary Q&A. Today we are celebrating our third anniversary of this podcast and over 300,000 downloads. Thank you so much, everybody, and for all of our supporters, all of our listeners. It's exciting and kind of mind-blowing to think that we've made it this long and this far, and I think we actually still have a lot more things to share with you guys. We haven't run out of topics. <laughs> uh, so today, we are going to be answering some questions that Patty has so graciously taken in and made us a beautiful list of all of the curiosities of our listeners, and we're going to answer them. So thank you to everybody who submitted. Happy anniversary, Patty. Happy anniversary, Jude. Can you believe it's been three years? It's crazy. No, it went by fast. It really did. Yeah. So let's jump in. You want to start with the first one? Yes. I tried to put these kind of in categories so that they made some sense, but we'll just see how it goes. So the first question is, how do babies people decide to come into this world or to wait? And how do we tell if a baby soul is around us and how do we connect with that baby spiritually? Now, when I read people, I will sometimes, I just read a person this morning, I will sometimes see a baby spirit hovering around them really closely. And when I see that, I usually warn the person that if they're not ready to have a child, they uh, need to be on it with their birth control, because I personally feel like once that baby gets that close, they are really ready to come in and that soul is ready to make its appearance. Do you see it that way when you read people? For me, it's a little different. There's variances um, in the way that I'll see it. Yes, I'll see it that way, but sometimes I'll actually see like a clinical, physical baby in belly, or I will get a sense that the womb space in the woman is feeling really inviting for oh, interesting. something to be in there, you know, for someone to be in there. I feel like if I feel it more in the physical body, like as in I'm seeing a pregnancy, it's either already happened, like they are pregnant, maybe they don't know, or they're about to be pregnant very quickly. If I see it more in spirit, I would address it more like how you said, like there's a spirit hovering that wants to incarnate through you. But I've also seen babies or child spirits. Actually, I got to say it like this. I don't always see the spirits as babies or children. I see them as sort of, you know, adult conscious beings that are trying to incarnate through somebody. I don't actually see them as like little toddlers running around. They're much more intelligent and wise in their communication and their, in their consciousness. But I have seen that some of these souls will hover with people for many, many years. They'll hang out for a long time. So it's hard for me to judge when or put a timeline on it if I see that. So Jude, to clarify, when I tell someone there's a baby spirit hanging around you, or I, I see a baby's energy, I don't see them as a human infant. I see them as a soul that is waiting for things to be in alignment so that they can come through as a baby. So I tell people, there's a baby around you because they're going to experience them firsthand as a baby. Yeah. I don't see them as babies or small people. They seem like, yeah, a soul, like a, a fully realized higher self entity that's wanting to come through. Yes. And then they will tell me that soul or that 
entity, that energy will say something like, I, I tried to come through one time before and it didn't work out and I've been hanging out ever since, or, you know, I'm newer here and this is a new experience. So to answer this question, how do babies decide to come into this world or to wait? I personally feel that it's a contractual agreement. The soul that's wanting to come in has either chosen these parents for karmic reasons or because they have, have traveled um, in other lifetimes with them and they have made an agreement to support one another in the future lifetime. Or sometimes souls just really want to be here now in this time and they will come through on whoever is fertile and ready. And I've had, you know, I've had people that I've read that have come through very specifically on their mother's energy or on their father's energy or on the, the trio of the three of them working together. And then I've also read people who have just come through opportunistically because they chose to be here in this time period to serve out their karma or experience something that they wanted to experience and really don't have a spiritual or energetic bond with either one of their parents. Now, have you experienced that or read that? I have to agree with everything that you said, but also wanting to know for those souls that don't have a specific soul group bond with either parent, that it is still sort of contractual, like it is still already decided that that's how that relationship dynamic was supposed to unfold for everybody's learning. And even whether or not the child spirit comes full term, you know, if there's any situation that you could imagine that the child mm -hmm. does not actually make it to a live birth. I do see souls that come in to hold space for the baby that's developing, whether or not they were actually supposed to live a full life on earth. That's part of their contract too, whether it's to hold space for, you know, a miscarriage or an abortion or whatever, whatever lessons are learning that needed to happen to every party involved in such a situation, that soul has agreed to sort of play that role, be it small, be it, be it just a moment. Um, that is how our soul family supports us and everything that we're trying to learn here. So I see everything as being in agreement in every moment. And it is all known how it is supposed to sort of like unfold. Every soul is here to support every piece of all of our experiences. And we're all here just supporting each other. Yes. And I want to throw a couple of things in there real quick. I think sometimes, you know, as a parent to lose a child, you know, we, we go through that pain, but I've read people where that parent, the soul of that parent has chosen to sacrifice their comfort and to sacrifice their happiness to go through this pain of losing a child to enable that soul to come through and experience, maybe they just want to experience in vitro, or maybe they get partway through the process and decide this isn't the right timing, or this isn't the right circumstance. So there are agreements, but there are also gifts and sacrifices on both sides. But there, I feel like there's a full awareness on a soul level for the soul coming in and the mother birthing the soul. Right. And in the same breath, I want to say the contracts and agreements are blessings and gifts. It might not always seem that way, but it's sometimes out of the true act of unconditional love that we hold space for some of the most challenging experiences and relationships because we love these souls so much that we're willing to hold space for this experience to unfold. Yes. 
All right. The next two questions are actually about twins. So I think I'll read them together because they might kind of meld together anyway. I am a twin and a Gemini. Very cool. And I'm curious about the spiritual significance of twins, if there is any. What makes two souls incarnate to the same mother or family? And then the next question is, when it comes to identical twins, are they actually the same soul or separate? I love that question. I'm so fascinated by twins. I'm sort of obsessed, actually. I see it both ways. I've seen twins that feel very much like a twin flame or a twin soul situation where they are an aspect of a more whole soul split off into two consciousness. And I've definitely seen twins that are clearly two totally different beings from two different places, two different lines. Like it, I don't think there's necessarily a cookie cut way to say that all twins are twin souls, but yeah, I've certainly seen that and I've seen it the other way as well. I fully agree. And I think twins are fascinating too. If I'm reading somebody and they mention they're a twin, I get all excited. Oh, 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 like I can't wait to dive in and read that. And also I've read many people that were a twin and lost their twin. And for so many, they live the rest of their life feeling that there's a void or, or part of them missing, or, um, you know, it's hard for them to move beyond grief when they lose a twin oftentimes. Um, I've actually heard that a lot too, actually, now that you say that. I think that there's also something to be said for uh, the DNA and the frequency in that energy, because we do sort of carry some energetic codes from our bloodlines and the DNA, and, and there is ancestral karma tied into that. So when two people are resonating so close in frequency, I think that there's definitely something that to be said for maybe, you know, the psychic sensitivity or the telepathic sensitivity that you would have with something that's in very close resonance to who you are is going to be a lot easier than people who come from two totally different codes. Yes, I agree too. And the second part of that, what makes two souls incarnate to the same mother or father or family? Now, Jude and I have both talked about how we feel that oftentimes we will incarnate with a pod or a tribe or a group of people over and over because we assist one another and we swap roles and we help one another get through our karmic debts and learn our lessons. So when these souls are separated and they are clearly not a twin flame, I believe that it's, it's just that to the max. It's like, well, let's go in together. You know, let's hold hands and, you know, we'll work this together. And this is the part that I'll serve. And this is a part that you'll serve and I'll help you in this way. And you'll help me in this way. And we'll choose this, this mother and father because they can offer this to us. So I feel like it's just an agreement taken not only between the soul and the parent that they're coming in through, but also between the, the sibling that's coming in. So it's just adding another person to the agreement. Do you agree with that? Right. I agree. I think that we have our soul group and we definitely incarnate with the same souls time and time again. I think the cosmic irony is though, and it's kind of laughable is that it's actually our most challenging, our most impactful relationships are the ones that will signify 
the souls that you incarnate with a lot. It doesn't have anything to do with how much time you spend with them. It's not necessarily have to be your brother or sister or whoever, but if somebody had a deep impact on you in this life, be it positive or negative, that's probably a clear indication that this is a soul that you have been sort of playing out these roles for each other to learn different things through many, 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 many lifetimes. And then I also believe that there are souls that incarnate where the energy stays fairly neutral and positive. This is like your support team, your spiritual cheerleaders on earth who are here to just boost you and give you confidence and help you believe in yourself. And that you also incarnate with those beings over and over and over again, but you've always managed to keep the relationship dynamic between the two of you more clear, more clean. Yeah. So there's different aspects, different reasons why we will incarnate with different souls. Next question. How can I better connect with my guides? I used to get movie-like bits each time I closed my eyes. I would see lights, colors, images, faces, voices, words, names, places very fast, and it was hard to retain, but it was cool. As I got busier with life, I can't access it anymore. Why? Can I boost this skill in any way? Well, the busier life, that's the big ding, ding, ding right there. At least to start off, I really think it's important to devote that quiet time, that meditation time to calling them in, to asking for signs, to asking for validation. And then once you are able to connect and you trust it a little more fully, then that's when you're going along in your busy life and something happens just stops you dead in your tracks and gets your attention. But a lot of times when we're busy, we're not recognizing the signs, we're not picking up on our spirit guides or anything else trying to get our attention. So at the beginning, until you really get in the swing of it, to feel really confident with what you're dealing with here, with who your guide is, what their vibrational frequency is, really recognizing them. I think when you're busy, if you're not taking the time to sit and meditate and be quiet and work on it, it's going to be hard. I a hundred percent agree. Also, when you think of getting busy, I think of stress, stress lowers our vibration. And in order for us to connect with our guide system, who are these high vibrational light bodied, high consciousness beings, in order for that communication to be really clear, we need to sort of match their frequency. So a lot of times when you're trying to come out of a really stressful day, and then you're going into this meditation, you're having this big expectation that I'm going to have, you know, this great conversation and you're trying to reach for it and you want it and you're almost desperate for it, that is probably a recipe for you not getting anything. I would be more focusing on just learning how to quiet your mind and raise your vibration up into the light and just be with it, be in the nothingness, be in the void, be in the light, be in the, the oneness and hold your frequency up there first until you feel really comfortable, sit with it until it feels timeless and then maybe try to connect with the guides. But if you come right out the gate from a stressful situation and you're just like trying to communicate with the guides and you haven't really shed all the things or remembered what it is to be up in a higher frequency, it's going to be a lot harder for you to communicate. I agree. And it sounds like this person has already connected with their guides. You know, they, they see lights, colors, faces, voices. That's so cool and so amazing. And in times of stress and in times of overwhelm, it's really hard to connect. It's like, that's when we need it the most, but that's when it's hard to connect. When I am stressed out and I really need to meditate is when I have the hardest time meditating by far. So just devoting a few minutes throughout the day to take a few deep breaths or talking to your guides or asking for guidance or inviting them in, you know, at bedtime, just before you go to sleep, those are all good ways to try to fit it in. 
I agree. And just to make you feel better, I myself have gone through long periods with not being able to communicate with guides. I also went through the same thing where in the beginning I saw them, they introduced themselves. And then I went through a number of years actually where I didn't have any communication at all. And I had to sort of learn um, to build that skill back up and it took time. So don't get discouraged. Yep. Next question. How can you know for sure if you are being visited by or receiving messages from spirits of light with good intention for your greatest good, especially if you still have healing to do and may have some weaknesses in your energy field? I've heard that bad entities being spirits, et cetera, can disguise themselves as beings of light to mislead and misguide you. I I think you and I are going to have two different things to say about this. My personal opinion is that If anything is around you that scares the crap out of you, that makes you feel prickly or uncomfortable or depressed or bad about yourself, that's a lower vibrational entity or being. And I do believe that sometimes entities can disguise themselves, but I I personally haven't experienced that because as much as they want to disguise themselves, if you're a person that can really pay attention to the energetic frequency, you're not going to be tricked. Now, Jude, I think you have had different experiences though, right? Yeah, I've definitely been tricked. But in hindsight, I didn't have the contrast to understand what level of entity I was working with. So as you all know, those who've been listening, I sort of started from the bottom and worked my way up. So when I didn't have uh, enough intuitive clarity to know what the really, really high vibrational bright beings are, you know, the ones that I thought might've been there for good weren't really, they weren't very obviously bad, but they weren't very obviously really bright either. There it's not just a a black and white, like, Oh, they're so terrible and obvious, or they're Oh, so bright and amazing. There are beings that are in between earthbound spirits can be kind of stuck on the earthly plane and not necessarily be bad. They have good intentions and maybe they think that they know what's right or what's good, but just as any other human being living on earth, not everybody really knows what the higher perspective is to know when you're really getting the higher perspective, you need to know that you're communicating with these very, very high light, bright beings. And as Patty said, they will always feel good. It will always feel comforting. It'll always feel like it is for the greater good of all concerned. I don't even think any of our guides would ever speak to us in a way that would incite fear in any way in us. I think that if they were going to try to say no or warn us of something, they would do it in a way that felt very calm and maybe just sort of throwing a different perspective on things like, don't do that. Maybe go here, do this. I I just don't feel like they would ever do anything that would make you have more anxiety or more fear in your life. And that's how you can kind of know. I'm so glad you brought up earthbound spirits because that is a totally different piece of this. And I agree with you. Earthbound spirits can have a a lower vibrational frequency. And, but I feel like the energy exchange is much different. The energy exchange that I'm having with a guide or, or a spirit that's coming in and giving me messages and visiting me is going to be totally different than the exchange, the energetic exchange I'm having with an earthbound spirit. I feel like with an earthbound spirit, I'm kind of interviewing them or asking about them, asking how I can assist them to move on. I'm collecting information to help them rather than receiving, if that makes sense. Absolutely. But in my experience, (laughs) (laughs) I've had moments when, you know, in my younger years, 
when I didn't know how to differentiate and I didn't quite understand that there was different sort of vibrational dimensions that these different beings were in, I could feel that there was a difference. I could tell there was a difference, but I didn't really understand how it all worked, that there was an occasion where I was seeking answers and felt something responding to me. And it was later on revealed to me that it was an earthbound spirit who heard me calling out for answers and they felt like they had them for me, you know? So they, it wasn't bad. It wasn't evil. It wasn't wrong. It just wasn't the highest and the clearest and the brightest. It was just sort of a earthbound spirit that wanted attention and I could hear it. And so it hovered around me and I just was sort of naive and didn't realize that, you know, maybe this is something that I shouldn't be taking advice from. (laughs) So it can happen. It can happen, but I agree. And then we have talked about this in our ghost episode, but if I have a ghost show up that has kind of a neutral energy, but I, so that means that I'm not really receiving energy from it. It's not really trying to talk to me or coming into my personal space, but it's in my home. Let's say I will interview it and be like, who the hell are you? Why are you here? What's your purpose? And if I don't like their answers or if they don't answer, I send them away right away. But I am the opposite of you. I started really high and started coming down just a little bit to be able to connect with earthbound spirits and have a little bit more of an understanding. And you helped me with that. But um, I'm very sensitive to the vibration around me. And if it's something that doesn't feel good, I'm immediately either running for the hills or putting a a huge, strong protection force field around myself and banishing that soul. Yeah, I think that it's really obvious, actually, um, because it's not only in the way they make you feel, it's in the way they speak to you and Mm -hmm. it's in the way they look. There's kind of some very obvious indicators that you're not speaking to something that is of the highest integrity. If you see something that looks scary or deformed or off-putting, don't listen to it. If you hear something that's trying to convince you of something that your moral compass is telling you is not correct, that justifies that certain behaviors or acts are okay, when you know it's not, don't listen to that. (laughs) Yeah, there are tricky energies out there for sure. I also believe that every experience that we have is in part of our learning, because for me, I had to learn everything the wrong way in order to figure out how to do it the right way. So don't get too hard on yourself. If you experience something and you feel like you were tricked, at least now you have sort of the, the code of that energy to know not to listen to it again. I tell people it's like dating a really bad person. You know, when you've had that relationship that was horrible and toxic, and then the next time that person comes around or somebody like them, you can smell it coming from a mile away Mm -hmm. and you avoid that person and you're looking for somebody better. So sort of in the spirit realm, it kind of works like that too. Sometimes you got to experience something in order to know that's the thing that you don't want to be around. Yes. Okay. Next question. For someone struggling to connect with spirit guides, what advice can you offer? The most I get is ringing in my ear when I'm thinking about them or asking a question out loud. There seems to be a frustrating block between our worlds and it's got to be me. We get this question so often. Yeah. You know, even still for as much as I do what I do, I oftentimes get like the ringing in my ear and the buzzing. And I know that something's trying to communicate with me, but I am tuned out because I'm too distracted with what's going on in my life. And Patty and I have talked about that kind of tugging or that nagging feeling like there, it just sounds like 
there's like a wah, 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 like something that's saying, yeah. just stop and pay attention and listen to me. If it's the ringing in the ear or the buzzing or just the sense of some kind of communication trying to come through that you can't quite make out, they're letting you know that the door is opening and it's time for you to start practicing on really becoming into your stillness, into your center, to really quiet everything down and listen very carefully. It's not going to happen overnight. It might not happen the first five times you try it, but I would think that it's happening because it's sort of nudging you into this direction to start paying attention and starting to practice the skill of listening or working with your intuition. Now for me now, yeah, I still get moments, like I said, with these weird buzzing or ringing in my ears. And I will stop if I have the time to do it in the moment to really quiet down and listen and see if any messages come through. And sometimes I do, and sometimes I don't. So if you believe something is trying to communicate with you and you're having a hard time, I think it's really just cueing you into there's a potential opening here and maybe it would be a good time to start quieting the mind, getting into your center and listening. I fully agree. All right. Next question. Oh, this is interesting. Sometimes I hear spirit asking me what my name is. Can spirit see, hear everything that you are doing? Can earthbound spirits or can they only hear what you are telling them telepathically? Now, I think the word spirit here is, is a little confusing. Uh, spirit can be a lot of things. If we're talking about spirit as source, yes, not only can they see what we're doing, they are us. We are part of them. They are aware of the experiences that we are experiencing. Now, as far as something asking you what your name is, this is kind of a red flag for me. And I'm Jude, I'm curious if you're here with this, because if this is a spirit guide that's trying to connect with you, they might say your name to get your attention, but they know your name clearly. Something that's asking your name, that seems a little, uh, I don't know that I would totally trust that personally. I definitely sounds, agree. Yeah, yeah. That sounds like an earthbound spirit to earthbound. be trying to get your attention. Yeah, exactly. Or something else that's just trying to play with the fact that you're open and can hear and wants to engage with you. Exactly. But a spirit guide would definitely know your name, nor would I think a true spirit guide actually put any emphasis on what the name is anyways. They're trying, you know, the name is trivial compared to what their purpose is for you. Uh, earthbound spirits. I've been shown the perspective of what we look like to earthbound spirits. And it's very interesting. It sort of looks like, you know, I can't prove it to you, but they've shown me, uh, think of everybody looking really blurry, like they're out of focus. And what happens with earthbound spirits is they sort of see these like blurs and these blobs moving through the world and they have awareness that they're people and other beings, but those that are really clear or have psychic abilities look really clear. Like they look like the high definition, like they can see all their features. And this is why these earthbound spirits gravitate towards those people. It's not because they're necessarily a bright light. It's because they look clear because they can see them. That is a human. That is a person. Why can I see that person clearer than everybody else? And so they gravitate over to them. I think that in the same way that people living compared to people who are earth, spirits who are earthbound will sound more muffled, but those who have more sort of psychic gifts, they sound more clear. They sound more crisp to those that are in that other dimension. And that's why mediums are able to 
communicate with them or hear them with more clarity because they're more in resonance with each other. They're more on the same wavelength or in the same vibration. So that's the way they showed it to me. Uh, like but that. yeah, but earthbound spirits do not know all, see all. I agree. And as far as can they only hear you when you, what you're telling them telepathically, I think that has a lot to do with how protected you are and what your boundaries are and how much you allow something into your sphere. I will have a random thought or download. And after I will notice that the spiritual community will be saying the same things. And some of these ideas are random, but in the realm of spirituality are spiritually guided folks being given fed a collective knowledge. And if so, is the purpose to raise our vibration. I literally just had this whole conversation with Patty before we even got on this podcast about how as soon as something happens, it'll be everywhere. It's repeated to me through other people, other conversations, through my clients, through movies I'm watching, you know, it just, it's almost like spirit is trying extra hard to make me pay attention to what this message is or what that download is or what, I need to readjust in my thinking because it's like another level of my own wisdom or understanding of this world or this reality. And yes, that's absolutely a thing. And I also see it as like a collective too. Like a lot of people will be getting sort of this same insight or same wisdom at the same time. I totally agree. It's, it's a wonderful source of validation. I, I would tell people, well, the way dead people have explained it to me, this is what I get. And then, you know, years after it had come out, I read a book by a pretty famous medium and he was explaining things really the same. And I was like, holy shit, he sees things the same way. It's not just me. I thought this was my philosophy, you know, but <laughs> it, you know, that's the way it is and the way a lot of people believe it. So I agree with that. And it, it's, it is amazing that we were just talking about this. Yeah. And, and you, it's the same thing. You can see a movie at some point in your life that means nothing. And then you can go through some spiritual experience and see it again. And it's almost like it's answering your questions or replaying what you went through or validating. It's um, very cool. Yeah. Songs will do that to me too. Mm -hmm. Certain songs will come on and just answer. Uh, another thing that will happen is I will be thinking of something and hear somebody uh, in my vicinity say the same word or the same phrase at the same time that I'm thinking it, which also makes me pay super attention. And Patty, I know for you and we, like I said, we just had this conversation beforehand where I'm like, I'm getting this message that this is the way things are supposed to be, or this is how I need to change my perception of things. And you're like, I'm getting the same thing too. I'm hearing the same thing. So yeah, it's kind of nice to have some more, you know, spiritually minded people to share these downloads and insights with. And you might find that a lot of people across the board are kind of getting the same messages around the same time. Yes. All right. The next question. I communicate with loved ones through my dreams. My father passed when I was nine. I'm now 51. And he seems to be the only one that I do not hear from. Even my best friend's father came to me. Is there a reason a close loved one would not visit. And I have spoken about my father in past episodes and my father was extremely psychic. And I grew up in a very psychic household where it was just part of our life. And he got cancer and knew that he was dying. And during that time, he and I would have these conversations about him contacting me and letting me know what it's like and us having this, this open communication with one another after he had passed. And I personally believe that if anybody could contact me, it would be my dad. I heard not 
a damn thing from him for a little over two years, not a dream, not anything. And I'm a person that when other people have died, they've shown up and let me know that they were okay, or they'd given me messages to pass on to other people. So during this time, it was really difficult. It, it really did throw me into a, a place of questioning my spirituality, questioning life after death, because I thought really, if, and again, if anybody could contact me, it would be my father. Well, at, later on, he did come to me and I had to put some pretty strong boundaries up because he was super excited and it was pretty overwhelming to communicate with him um, to begin with. I have been told by dead people that sometimes our loved ones know better than we, if them visiting us or showing up in a dream is going to aid us in our journey through the grieving process, or if it's going to impede that process. Some of us hearing from our dead relative would be a boost of energy, would help us feel positive and, and wonderful. For others, it might just bring back sadness or it might get in the way of us letting go and moving on. And then the other side of that coin is where that person is. Sometimes people cross over, really quickly and go right into a state where they're easily able to communicate with us. Other times they're busy or they're working on, on something that they have to, to work through or look at before they're able to fully cross over and they don't have the time or the earthly realm is not that important to them. Some people cross over and they still want to watch over their loved ones on the planet. They want to be connected with the earthly realm. They want to communicate and guide us. Others are like, adios, you know, I'm done with the earth plane. I'm moving further into the oneness, further into the light, and I'm letting go of this full experience. And so I think it can be on on both ends. And when I was not hearing from my father, I was getting really super clear downloads from a friend's father that had passed. So again, there's many reasons on both ends why you might or might not connect with a loved one. And even though it's been many, many years, I wouldn't give up hope because it still might happen. I agree with everything that you said. I've also gotten those same messages as far as spirit saying it would might impede the grieving process to have too much connection. I also think that there's something in the grieving process that really does kind of lower the vibration too. And as I said, when you're trying to connect with somebody in a very much higher frequency, we need to sort of match that frequency for a more clear communication to come through. I've also seen spirits who do try and do attempt to connect with uh, their loved ones on the earthly plane, but can't get through because there still is a lot of grief and heaviness or desperation or expectation or clinginess to it needing to be a certain way when really we need to sort of relax and open and allow whatever wants to flow through, flow through. Because if we're constantly looking for the sign, constantly looking for this thing, this message, it's almost like giving us tunnel vision and distracting us from the messages that are actually trying to come through. You know, and then of course there's the case of spirits who just simply haven't crossed over, that they're still locked in maybe a piece of trauma around their passing and they haven't been able to let it go and come into enough clarity to make contact. I, I mean, it's there's so many different reasons, mm -hmm. you know, that these things can happen. You know, the irony for me though is I of all my family members who have passed the one that I would have thought was the least likely to connect with me, which is my grandfather, because he was a very sort of like stubborn, boxed in military man. He's the only one that shows up all the time. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, so interesting. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to read this next question to you because 
I added a separate uh, little second question that came in. Okay. I know my ex-husband's dad, my children's granddad is going to pass soon. Should I tell him? And then the second question that came in is what advice do you, you give someone that's on their deathbed? Okay, Jude. Okay, for the question of should I tell them? No. What business is it for you to tell somebody that? I, I, I absolutely, I'm a hard no on that. In no situation, unless it's like, you two are best friends. You have the deepest trust and um, respect for each other's insights. And at the end of the day, Patty, give it to me straight. Am I going to die? Sure. If I give you permission to tell me that fine, but I wouldn't ever volunteer it. That's my opinion because I don't believe in planting seeds and there's always a realm or a possibility that you could be incorrect. I don't think anybody is a hundred percent accurate on any future prediction whatsoever. I think we can see themes. I think it's great if you get there and you got it, but I think things can change at any moment. So why plant a seed like that and, and allow somebody to co-create this doomsday potential future. I am very triggered by stuff like that. Sorry. So if I feel a little harsh, Patty, what do you think? I, I actually had this happen to me a, a one of my closest friends, her father was in the hospital, not doing well. And she knows that I'm a psychic. And she said, you know, is he going to die? Do you think he's going to die? In my gut, I thought he was going to die. Did I tell her that? Absolutely not. I think what I said was, well, I think you need to be prepared because our parents are getting older. And if he survives this, you know, there's always something that could happen. So I think this is something that we both need to start preparing ourselves for as our parents age. That was the best I could do at that time because I could not tell her. Now, if I had adult children and I was in this situation, I might say something like, you know, I just have a feeling that it may not be long and we should prepare ourselves. Something like that, I think might be helpful to help people that might be in denial to prepare a little bit better. And we're all, you know, we, we're all able to speak our truth and share that. But I hundred percent agree with you, Jude, that, um, I don't feel like it's our role to tell people, but I think we can allude to it if it's in a way that's helpful. If I'm ever in doubt on whether I should share something, I meditate on it and ask spirit, am I supposed to share this? And then I asked that person's higher self, do you want to hear this? But never about, about something this serious. No. And um, I mean, with some certain cases, it's quite obvious if somebody's an elder age, if they're going through, you know, medical complications, we're all going to die. Okay. That's kind of obvious, but if it's kind of a clear out of the blue, there's no rhyme or reason to think that this person's going to die and, and you get a hit that they're going to die. I, I really don't think that you should say something. That's my opinion. Yeah. I have done readings where people have asked me, you know, is my great grandmother going to live much longer? And I have said, I don't think she'll make it throughout the year, right. you know, or something like that, but that's not, my Same children's here. If family somebody, members. Yeah. yeah. If they have a terminal illness and, um, I know that, you know, it feels close, but it's obvious. I don't think I'm, you know, revealing any big mystery here, like that somebody's sort of on the last, you know, hurrah of their life. Uh, but yeah, I would never, I just don't feel right about that at all. All right. I've never given anybody advice that was on their deathbed. 
So the question, what advice do you give someone that's on their deathbed? Do you have an answer for that? I don't know what I would say in advice, but I have worked with people who are terminal and have passed since I started working with them. And I just trust what spirit is going to tell me in that moment. And it's usually something very hopeful or reassuring that their loved ones are there. Mm -hmm. I usually see angels. I usually see healer spirits that are there holding space. Um, if anything, making, uh, the transition more comfortable to giving them more peace of mind, more calm to, to let them know that they're supported if anything, you know, and usually in those circumstances, we know that they're going, I'm not giving them any false hope of like a miracle cure that's coming through. So, but it's not something that I came up with. It's something that in the moment, in the few occasions that happened, it was like messages from spirit, just letting them know that they're not alone. I like that. Yeah. Passing on a message from spirit makes sense. All right. This is a question for you. You're going to love this. Does music or sound healing really work? Uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I like a lot. It's like, to me, one of the most potent forms of energy healing that I have discovered, but maybe because I resonate with it more and I'm able to work with it. I just, everything to me is vibration frequency. It has a tone, it has a color, it has a, a texture to it and sound very much does, you know, a bass compared to like a high note of a crystal singing bowl compared to a rattle. It all has movement. It, it, it's a pulse and it works with other vibratory fields. So these different tones and vibrations can move energy in different ways. And some of them work better against other ones. You know, the, the energy and the texture of depression is different than the texture of anger and certain instruments or certain tones are going to soften or move or clear those congestions of energy in different ways. I I see it firsthand, you know, now the translation between the energetic space and the physical space you know, there's time that needs to happen. It's a slower manifestation into the physical. If we change the energy, it takes a little bit of time for the physical uh, to catch up to sort of the new code or the new, the new position of how the energy was holding. So yeah, I totally believe in it a hundred percent. Is it uh, in real time, miraculous healing? Maybe not, but Sometimes I've had people report back to me that they've had lumps or bumps or things. And after one session, they were gone, but that's rare. It really takes a person who is open to receive and believe that the work is happening as much as the facilitator who also believes that the work is happening, whether I'm utilizing intention, visualization, or sound to facilitate that work. So Healing is a two-part way. If I'm working on somebody with sound and they are totally a skeptic and they don't believe in it and it's all woo-woo mumbo jumbo to them, they're not going to receive. Their energy field is going to be closed off from receiving it. So the irony of it is, is that that exact scenario is what contributes to people being skeptics. But in order for all of this to work, we need to have both sides working together for healing. That's great. Yes. I, I have worked with tuning forks on people. They'll sit up and be super dizzy or they'll sit up and feel like their headache is gone. You know, some people respond to it really, really quickly. And I, I personally, my own personal experience receiving it is I've had sound healings with Jude that were 
just amazing. And I just felt like it aligned my chakras and cleared everything out and opened up my, you know, the flow to my chi. And then I've had sound healings where I went in really optimistic and felt nauseated and sick and like I was vibrationally assaulted. So I have to say it works because it can work in a positive way as well as it can affect you in a negative way. A hundred percent music. Yes. And I don't care if the song is about peace, happiness, joy, and love. If the person singing it or the person performing it, I'll say this. If the person performing the music is not well in their spirit or not holding the right intention, their vibration interferes with what maybe the intention of the words of the music is. So the performer and the person holding the space with the music also has a huge part of it. Just like why if you went to a sound healing, depending on what that particular person was going through in that particular time, or maybe didn't hold the container well, or who knows, you know, there could be a lot of factors. The, the one performing the sound has a huge influence on how the vibratory medicine works, you know? Yeah, 100%. And it's, it's not about who has the most expensive or the biggest collection of totally. instruments. It's how that person is working, how connected they are spiritually. And for Jude being a musician, it just makes sense. And I was, I was talking to my friend about this. It's not just sounds, it's rhythms and cycles and everything makes sense and everything opens and then closes and then leads to something else. It's very fluid. And I've been to sound healings where it was just noise, you know, so and I've heard music that didn't have any spiritual context in it. It could be sort of superficial lyrics, but the person performing it has such a high, awesome energy that it's just infectious. It just makes you feel like how they feel inside, just stoked, you know? So that can be very healing. And yes, the, the fancy, super expensive instruments um, do not make the experience. Don't get hypnotized by all the fancy things. Yes. A good quality instrument definitely helps. Like, don't get me wrong. I love them too. <laughs> but, uh, yes, at the end of the day, intention is everything when it comes to sound. Great. All right. The next two questions, I'll read them together. How is intuition different than regular thoughts? And what is the difference between being psychic and being intuitive? And how do you see that in a person? This is a tricky thing this is one of the reasons why I started taking psychic classes to begin with. And I've talked about this in the past is that when I had children, I didn't know if I was just a mother worrying about my kid going somewhere, or if this was an intuitive hit because I'd had psychic hits all my life, but not, not at, at the degree that I cared so much about, you know, the experience that my child was having or if they were safe. So this is where I really started taking classes and really worked on being able to identify the vibrational difference between a thought or something triggered by anxiety or fear and that of something coming in as intuition. Intuition and psychic hits come in kind of out of nowhere. They can answer your question, but there's not a process of thoughts that lead to this. You're not worrying about something or thinking about something which causes you to consider some other possible outcome. And then you're like, oh, is that what's going to happen? A psychic kit just comes in blammo and it has a fully different frequency than a thought. And for me personally, I feel like the difference between intuition and psychic abilities intuition comes in, it guides us, it keeps safe. It's that little, that little second voice, 
guiding us, you know, this is like something's off. Psychic abilities is when you trust that and you take it to the next level. You actually get the answers of what is off? Why is something off? What's the best way to deal with this? Where is this coming from? I don't really believe that you can be psychic without being intuitive, but I do believe you can be intuitive without being very psychic because it is trusting it, learning to use it and connecting on a, a deeper level. Now, Jude, do you agree with that? A hundred percent. Everything you said. Okay. Awesome. And then the other question is, how do you see that in a person? So when you're reading someone, how do you see the difference between someone that's intuitive and someone that's psychic? Well, for me, yeah, it actually looks a specific way. And I don't think it would look like that for everybody. I just, this is how, you know, it's sort of like my encyclopedia of imagery that I understand that this is what I'm seeing. For me, intuition seems to come in through the back, which tends to be the more unconscious side. So this is just like that hunch or that knowing that we can't really describe. We just we just feel it, but we don't really always know where it's coming from. That feels more like intuition to me. When I see information coming in through the front, this is when we're really conscious. We see it, we know where it's coming from. We're hearing it, we're visualizing it. And that to me is more of like a psychic hit. So when I see these openings on clients, when I'm reading them, if it's Coming in through the back, I will describe it more as intuition. If I see it more in the front, I will be like, oh, you must be psychic. You're clairvoyant. You're clairaudient. You're this or that, because I'm seeing it come into the front really direct. I love that. We've never talked about this before. Mine is similar. I would say that intuition is information from the outside coming in where psychic abilities is within. So I think that's pretty close to the way you see it. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Okay. This is great. Why can't we be around some people and feel fine then others make us feel weird? Some people make me feel lightheaded, dizzy, and anxious. Do you want to take that, Jude? Um, yeah, this happens for me, uh, but it's sort of the current of energy and how it flows through people. And that's how I see it. If people have a lot of kinks in the hose and a lot of blocks in their energy fields, when I get in close proximity of them, our energies want to match up. So that means that my energy is starting to mimic or feel what they're feeling in their energy field. And that'll make me feel off. And then when I'm around people who are really bright and clear and aligned, I feel great. So I can say that as an empath, I imagine you're an empath, whoever wrote this question, and you're probably mm -hmm. kind of picking up that same thing. You're feeling when other people's energy isn't running really clear and efficiently. I agree. And this question, how do you ladies manage sleeping with your spouses being so sensitive and empathic so that you don't absorb their energy and can recharge? Well, well, <laughs> <laughs> Separate bedrooms, uh, separate bedrooms. <laughs> my, I've been married to my husband almost 36 years. Wow. And we slept together for the first 15, maybe. And then we got in a fight over his snoring. And I said, that's it. I want my own room. And it ended up in an argument. You know, I thought it would be a week and both of us loved it so much. We have separate beds and I sleep like a baby. I meditate. I wake up in the middle of the night. The moon will be shining on me or the owls will be going off. And I wake up in the middle of the night and I can do some deep breathing and I can do some meditating. If I wake up in the middle of the night and someone's next to me and they're snoring or breathing heavily, or I'm picking up on their energy, I cannot drop into a meditation. I cannot fully enjoy the light of the moon that's coming in. And my husband 
you know, he actually says that he likes it much more too. Our kids were worried that it was like leading to divorce. And we're like, no, actually it's saving our marriage. So I'm all for it. And the whole thing about, well, if you don't sleep together, then you're not in love. You know, that's just bullshit. And having your own space, especially if you're in an empath, is so important. I used to go to bed early on purpose just so I could have some space away from my children and my husband. And if you have kids and other people in your house and you're trying to have that time to reboot and you're just climbing right in bed with someone else, you don't get that. And when we sleep, our, our energy radiates out. We astral travel, we connect. It can have a lot of effect on the person next to us. I have a, a girlfriend that's very psychic. And you know, she says that her husband benefits from her when she's able to do a deep meditation, he'll have a really good sleep. And when she's visited by aliens and things are going on, he'll be like, oh my God, I didn't sleep at all last night. So She's the psychic one, but he's very empathic and is actually picking up on everything that she's connecting with during her dream time. We have separate beds and I am all for it. I agree with you. And I'll tell you, my husband would say different. He rather us be in the same space, but I prefer having the separate bedrooms. I sleep better. I'm well more rested. I'm in a better mood. And as Patty said, like, yeah, I can wake up in the middle of the night and process my stuff without getting annoyed that the person next to me is moving. We, we did have separate bedrooms, but right now my husband and I are building a house, which we will have our separate bedrooms again, but we've had to share again. And I can tell a huge difference. I personally cannot wait to have our own separate bedrooms. And I know my husband's listening right now and he's all like bummed out about that, but I love my husband. I love him more when I'm getting better sleep. <laughs> yes, exactly. So for all of you there, you know, Hey, I highly recommend it. How much control does our divine self have over our human body? I'm thinking of aging, health, and disease. Well, I do believe that sickness and illness is a low vibration within our body. And this is why when we are ill, we need to try to raise our vibration or we need to connect with that really high vibrational energy and allow that to come in to help us heal. If we're able to connect with our higher self, our divine self, that is a very high frequency. And so I believe that that would help protect us or slow down the aging process and help protect us from disease and help us have better health. Do you agree with that, Jude? Yes. I think that I imagine you say divine self or higher self absolutely has everything to do with what's going on. I think our physical symptoms are indications of spiritual imbalance. So we can work with our higher intuition to recognize this and dive into that pain or that sickness or illness or disease and try to uncover the source of its creation, whether it be trauma from this lifetime or many, many lifetimes we can heal ourselves. We absolutely have the ability. I believe in my heart of hearts, we have the ability to pretty much heal everything and anything, but it takes us having such a strong and clear belief and in, in that ability that would give us the power to do it. And the problem is, is that all of us feel the limitations of the third dimensional realm. And we think that everything has to happen by this certain set of rules and it has to happen in this low and slow way. And it's very hard to bypass our consciousness from the, the confinement of this reality that tells us we need to heal 
with these medications and that we're sort of helpless and we need these other doctors and these other operations to make these healings happen. When it has been documented that there have been miraculous healings in the moment of seconds or minutes Mm -hmm. with a, a really strong spiritual focus, tumors have eradicated in real time in just a matter of moments. So Yeah, I do believe that we absolutely have the ability to heal ourselves and that if our self is feeling distress or trauma or holding on to things that it will manifest in physical problems. Okay, so here's the next one. Are chronic debilitating diseases such as Lyme part of the soul's contract, karma, or chance? It's totally part of the contract and karma. It's karma is the contract. Karma isn't a punishment. Karma is a is an agreement that we made to ourselves to learn the lesson, you know, and if we're not learning it, if we're not having the breakthrough, then we keep repeating it. It's like, it's, it's like repeating a grade in school over and over again, or taking a test that you didn't do well on and having to take the test again until you get the answers right. I mean, that's like a very sort of dumbed down way to describe it, but karma is not a punishment. Karma is our way of seeing that we haven't figured it out, or we haven't learned the lesson. And so we're still trying to get to the answer or get to the solution. And uh, yeah, I think it's all part of the contract. I think all the, the challenges, all the suffering, all the things that we go through that are seemingly bad. And it seems like this big, terrible, big, bad thing that's being put upon us is actually our own choosing. And it's because we're trying to learn something, whether it be strength, whether it be faith, whether it be just the feeling of accomplishment of conquering something that has had a hold of us, like it's all part of a greater good down the line, even though it doesn't seem like that when we're experiencing it. Yes. And the second part of this question was, can cutting cords pertaining to the disease assist in healing the chronic illness? I don't believe that cord cutting is part of this. You can't just do a, do something or visualize something and get rid of that karma. It would be better to meditate on this illness and ask, what am I missing? What is the lesson here? What what should I understand? How can I process this better? How can I learn wisdom from what it is I'm going through rather than doing a some type of cord cutting ceremony? Do you agree with that? I say that it is helpful and it's a step, but it is not the solution. Like you have to understand that when our physical bodies are going through a symptom, it is a manifestation of long unhealed energies. Something as simple as knee pain could be lifetimes deep. Okay. It it could be many, many layers. Yeah. Maybe we need to clear some cords and some bad relationships. And then the next layer is like, oh, stuff that we were dealing with as, as a kid. And then the next layer was that one lifetime before. And then the next layer is, whoa, other lifetimes going way, 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 way back. And that just could be knee pain. We're not even talking about tumors or bigger problems that we might've manifest. It's a many layered process. So there's many methods of attack, but yeah, I, I do think that cord clearing might be the very superficial layer, you know, maybe some of the, you know, for example, one thing that uh, I will get with women, a lot of women have cysts on their ovaries and in their uterus. And it's often to me, energetically associated with the cording and the obligations and the responsibilities and the sort of neediness and attachments of others in their life that are constantly 
utilizing this person's energy, the space that they hold in their energy field, um, it gets very congested. So yeah, there might be some need to clear some cords, some energetic cords with people, but that's just the first step. And then beyond that, it's like, well, what manifested you putting yourself in a position to always have people be attached to your energy field? You know, it goes deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. So it is not the solution, but it might be a step. That's my opinion. I like that. I'm going to change my answer that yes, <laughs> cord cuts, cord cutting can assist. Yes. Yes. Thank you. All right. I love this one. Would love to hear your thoughts and opinions on the energy surrounding alcohol. Is there a way to consume it with higher vibrations? Whenever I have somebody say, does spirit want me to stop drinking alcohol? To me, that's a red flag. Like, yeah. And here's why it's nobody's business to judge. If you're an alcoholic, if you drink too much, if you drink too little, it's how it makes you feel about yourself. If you have a glass of wine at a lovely dinner with friends and you feel good, then it's going to be good for you. If you have a bunch of drinks and you embarrass yourself and you feel like shit for three days, then it is not empowering and it's not good for you. So it's just like your food. You know, they, they say you can eat glass. If you pray over your food and ask that glass to serve your higher self and you truly believe that it will, then you can eat whatever you want. When we pray over our food or have gratitude for what we eat, it's been proven that we actually absorb more nutrients and that food serves us in a better way than if we did not have gratitude for it. So when we're doing anything that alters us, if it feels empowering, and beneficial to ourselves, then that's great. If it doesn't, then it does not. Now, the second part of that is that when we drink, this is where we get braver. We, you know, lose our inhibitions. We're, we're bolder, but also while this is happening, we're letting down our protection. We're come, becoming less more aware of the energy that we're putting out of the energy we're picking up on our intuition goes takes a, a walk and is not there with us and it can lead into bad decisions and it can lead into picking up on bad energies because we're not present. And that is why when we have a hangover, a lot of times, not only are we having a physical hangover, we're having an emotional hangover, we're having an energetic hangover, we're having to reboot, to clear, to come back into ourselves, to find our center. So in my opinion, it depends on the relationship you have with it and what it is serving, if it's serving anything at all, but you do need to be aware that it alters your protection. Yeah, I, I agree with everything that you said. Me personally, and I know this sounds probably like an excuse, but I'm always like, you know, alcohol is a medicine for me. <laughs> Not yeah. that I drink all the time every day. I'm a very rare drinker. I, I have a low tolerance for alcohol, but being so hypersensitive and open, the only time I actually really feel kind of normal is when I have a drink. I know that sounds terrible, but where I don't feel like I'm hypersensitive to everybody's emotional vibration. And, and I feel like I can just be, and not have to feel and read into everything. So alcohol really helps me in social or new social situations where I'm not yet quite comfortable. Or if I've had a really rocking day of some really intense readings, sometimes having a drink helps me soothe everything down really quickly. So I like to say I use it medicinally, but I am not a drunk and I'm not somebody who's like takes too much or drinks too far. I hate getting sick. I don't like getting to the point of like puking and hangover. It's very rare for me. So I think it is a low vibrational 
substance. At the end of the day, if you can't use it responsibility, you should probably not use it at all. So it does empower you in some ways. It does by making me feel more relaxed and comfortable um, with my psychic sensitivities. Like if I'm in social situations, I really want to have a drink just to kind of numb the field a little bit. See, I'm the opposite. If I'm in social situations, if I have alcohol, I feel, I feel raw. I feel less protected, more open, more sensitive. I would rather have a drink at home, you know, when I can just relax, but I feel safe. But I agree with you in that too, that it also makes me so unaware of my spatial boundary of energy. Like it numbs everything. So it's like, yeah, I am making myself more energetically susceptible to uh, picking up other people's energy uh, without feeling it though. That's the point is I'm trying to make is like, I'm definitely eroding walls and it makes me more vulnerable, but at least I'm not feeling it because of the alcohol. So it's a, it's a catch 22. Like I said, it's a lower vibrational substance. It's not by any, by any form of the imagination. Is it at a high vibrational medicinal thing? But, uh, it does, I, I gotta say it helps me, but a glass of red wine does feel medicinal sometimes. It does (laughs) for me. It's a glass of champagne. Life's a celebration. (laughs) Okay. Next question. What can I do when I'm struggling to let someone's energy go? They are consuming my thoughts and I really need them out of my mind. Is this courting or energetic contracts? Oh man, this one is a tough one because so many people have this issue, whether it's a relationship that you're trying to get out of or a toxic relationship you're trying to let go of, or an unrequited love of somebody that you really, really want. That's not giving you what you want. I see this to be like a very big struggle amongst many different people um, that I read. And I myself have had been in positions and situations where I've had a hard time uh, either letting go of old relationships or letting go of toxic situations between people. Oh, it's not easy. I think it actually takes work because sometimes it's a two-way situation. It's two people who have a hard time letting go. So no matter how many times you clip it, no matter how many times you separate it, the other party is trying to relatch in. So it's a, it's a sort of a diligent exercise on one person's part. If they're trying to let go of a toxic or controlling relationship on the other hand, when it's a neediness in your own part, like you want, or you're desperate, or you just wish this person would love you it takes a great deal of discipline. You have to kind of dig deep within yourself and know that it's not correct. It's not serving you. It's not destined. You can't control it. And you have to be willing, willingly let that go. You have to sort of tell that deeper part of your spirit that as much as it hurts, as much as you want it, as much as you wish for it more than anything, you really have to give it permission to be released. And that's easier said than done. A lot of people have a hard time wanting to give up on something that they want so badly. I mean, that's just two scenarios. Patty, what do you have to add to that? 
I agree with everything you said. I, I do believe that this is one of those instances where doing some visualizations, doing some energetic cord cutting, asking your guides to help you, asking for um, higher wisdom in this, asking for help from your spiritual community, whether they be spiritual friends in the human form or your guide system can all always, always be helpful. Um, and it, it is really tricky. And the next question is after actually about karmic cycles. And this person is saying that they're in a relationship with someone that they realize they've had trauma with in a past life and that they realize that they are ready to move up into a higher vibration, but it's hard for them to walk away. So it's interesting that sometimes you can have a karmic relationship with someone where your karma has played out and you're ready to move on. And maybe they haven't learned their lesson and they're holding on for dear life because they still want you to help them figure this out. And even though we can have compassion for them and want to be helpful, sometimes we have to walk away because maybe you allowing this relationship to go on is actually keeping them from learning their lesson or keeping them from solving this karmic debt that they have with you. So whether it's a karmic cycle from this current life or from a past life, um, asking for wisdom about that, really meditating on it, asking for assistance, you just have to bite the bullet and separate. You know, the nature of this reality is primarily focused on the relationships and the interactions and the exchanges that we have with other souls. At the end of the day, that's what it comes down to, including ourselves, because every soul that we are meeting is actually a mirrored reflection of ourself, of our own triumphs and imbalances. Okay. We are all one. So everybody is us pretending to be different, shining back at us. Okay. So when we get to the other side, what we're hashing out is how we played out those dynamics, what we experienced, what we learned, how we could have done better. So it's not surprising to me that this is the one thing that is so challenging for so many people. And in terms of like letting go, you know, maybe your karma is to stop taking responsibility for everybody else's feelings. Like it's not your sort of cross to bear, you know, sometimes it is in the karma of our learning that we can't hold space for everybody else in their process not everybody would react the same way. I could break up with somebody and they could be fine with it and move on and break up with somebody else. And they might create a whole big scene and big drama about it. So that's their choice. There's no law that says everybody's going to react the same. And we sort of have to separate ourselves from the responsibility of how other people choose to react to their situations and their experiences. Okay. Jude, how do you know if you're in a soul contract with someone? Are you interacting? Are you talking? Are they in your life? Soul contract, <laughs> whether it's yep. small or large, we're all in soul contracts with each other. Like I got in a car accident one time with somebody, never met them. They were injured. I was injured. We never breathed a word to each other, but I was in a soul contract with that person. Mm -hmm. I know it, that we both had something to fulfill in that moment with each other. And, and we never actually spoke. It's all soul contracts, different levels. Agreed fully. Oh, here's a good question for you, Patty. <laughs> Sorry. <Ha. laughs> no, it's true. It's true. I'm owners. I'm actually owning it. So, okay. Yeah. How can we activate our crone energy for higher good? All right. So let's dive a little bit into the triple goddess here. 
we have the maiden, the mother, and the crone. The maiden is up until your first menstrual cycle. The mother is usually in the 40s, and the crone is usually in the 60s or above. So in the maiden cycle, we are celebrating our youth and our beauty. We're trying to decide who we are. We are attracting people. We are making future plans. In the mother's cycle, we're in caregiver mode. We're taking care of our children or we're taking care of our spouse. We're actually trying to reconnect with what our needs are, even though it's tricky. And the crone stage is when you're done with all of that, you fully get to be who you are. You let go of expectations of what people expect of you. You let go of some of the caretaking and you tap into all the wisdom that you've learned throughout your life. And you just get to be in this place of knowledge and wisdom and understanding and really connect with your spiritual side and your higher self, because you're not so busy taking care of, of others. So the best way to activate our crone energy is first to own it. Now, everybody has crone energy. If you're a maiden, you still have crone energy. If you're a mother, you still have crone energy. And if you're a crone, you still have some maiden energy in you. So we have all those aspects within us at all times. However, we tend to take a greater ownership of the one that we are experiencing at that moment. So for me, it's the crone. So being a mentor, being a role model, sharing your wisdom, trusting yourself, expressing yourself more, letting go of excuses, not doing things you don't want to do anymore, and not caring if people like you, and not caring if you look hot and beautiful. You get to like let things go. So the more that you can tap into spirituality, you can be a role model, a mentor, live an intentional living, have gratitude for all of your experiences, have gratitude for nature and this beautiful planet that we live in. That is such a high vibrational energy. And there's a freedom in the crone state that a lot of women don't accept because we have all these expectations of what we're supposed to look like, that we're supposed to look like a maiden until the day we die. And it's very freeing. And I think it helps free women and it helps bring in the divine feminine and it helps us take ownership of where we are in our life. And I think just owning it's the first step, sharing it, mentoring and being a role model for younger people. Yeah, I love that. Great advice. Okay, next question. Can we tear up soul contracts if we feel that lessons have been learned and assimilated? Personally, I feel like there would be a avenue to, to accelerate the ending of a contract with wisdom and consciousness and forgiveness, healing. There's things that we understand in our spiritual wisdom that can help sort of dissolve the distortions between you and other people that are co-creating these karmic cycles over and over and over again. So it's not like we can just recognize that there's a bad behaviors happening between two people. And we're just like, Oh, I'm done with it. Just chucking it out, throwing it in the garbage. We're not dealing with it anymore. And there's another aspect of like looking at it and really consciously examining the nature of the dynamic between you and somebody else and finding where the imbalance lies, what, how it's happening and observing where the healing needs to happen. And usually that comes into a space of forgiveness and letting go, whether it's something you need to forgive in yourself or forgive in somebody else. And that is how you release a contract. You can't just visualize it and throw it away and not actually absorb the lesson. So you did say, you know, if we've assimilated it and you, yes, if you have dove into it, you see what 
the lesson was in it. You've made the forgiveness and you come into a place of true unconditional love between you and that other person. I believe you can dissolve it. And I think that you can accelerate that process. That was beautiful. You, you put that so well, really good. Okay. This next question is about thoughts on how time works about higher dimensions, transcending time. Um, is there a single moment in a higher dimension if time isn't a concept? What does it mean to be in fifth dimension where time doesn't exist? Aren't we living every moment at once? This is a pretty heavy one, Jude. But the ending says, in a reading, Jude told me that a guide has been waiting to meet me. What does that mean if time doesn't exist on a higher plane? Well, yeah, on a higher plane, time doesn't exist or the concept of time. It's a state of consciousness. It's an eternalness. There's not like this it's a heady thing to wrap your head around because the way we exist is like, we have this awareness of, oh, 15 minutes has passed, 60 minutes have passed. It's going to take me an hour to get there. You know, this will be a three-day project. Like we have this kind of sense of compartmentalizing pieces of our reality into these like time units on the other side or in a higher dimensional plane. We don't have that. It doesn't matter there's no need to do that. If we want something, it can happen now. If we want to access a piece of information from a million years ago, it's right in front of us right here, right now. It's not super far away and a big travel that needs to get there. So it's not something that so easily can be explained or described. But in relation to those that exist in the higher plane, they understand that we live in a reality where we're constrained by time. Okay. They understand that we have to go through step one, two, three, and four to get to where we're going. So they living in this place of existence that doesn't have any time constraints are patiently waiting. When I say waiting, not necessarily that they're sitting there looking at a clock, like, okay, when's the day going to come to them? It's just, but a moment, it's just, just, but a thing. But for you, they have a compassionate awareness that you have gone through your entire life, struggled through all of your things to come to your spiritual awakening, to elevate to a point enough that they are able to actually have a contact with you. So that's what I mean. They've been waiting for you. Not that because from their perspective, they've been looking at a clock and a calendar waiting for you. <laughs> they've just been like observing you through your process to get to a point where you were open enough to be able to communicate with them. They've always been there. Good answer. I've been noticing time glitches or time jumps much, much more often lately. And I have a few clients that have gotten to a point where they can manage or actually work with time rather than being constricted by or limited by time. So we are getting glimpses of the fifth dimension, no reality, as far as the concept of time governs us. And I believe that more and more people are starting to feel that shift or feel the constraints of time loosen up or lighten up. So yeah, I just wanted to throw that in. Totally. I think that's a really great thing to say. And uh, I really believe time is a state of consciousness because I can tell you when I feel really strapped for time and I don't feel like there's enough time in the day and I'm constantly thinking that it's like the day just keeps shrinking, you know, it's just yeah. like, there's not enough. And then when I can really relax and not put so much emphasis and focus on that clock, it seems like there's more than enough to do whatever I need to do. When I get sucked into looking at the minutes that are flying by, it's like, there's never enough. So it's a state of consciousness. Yes. Okay. You've mentioned the masters. How do you perceive them and what do you understand their role to be? 
when I hear the, the masters, I think of the ascended masters. The ascended masters are humans that have undergone a spiritual enlightenment or a spiritual transformation and gone through initiations that has allowed them to finish the incarnation cycle. They are no longer stuck in that cycle of incarnating. And so they have the freedom to work and assist humanity from a higher dimensional space. Some of the ascended masters are like Jesus and Mother Mary and Buddha, Vishnu, St. Germain. They've all reached the self-mastery while they were in human form and ascended to a place to be a guide or a master for humans and to assist us. So calling them in, inviting them in, asking for their assistance, meditating with them, worshiping them, those are all ways to connect with them. And, and that's what their role is. Their role is to assist humanity. So, you know, allowing them to do that, allowing them to be helpful, you know, going places where like St. Germain is seen very often in Mount Shasta. So when you go to visit Mount Shasta, it would be nice to take a moment and meditate and connect with him. So that's my answer. Do you, do you feel the same way about that? I love that answer. And I know for me, I may use that vocabulary of master in a few different ways, but uh, I like what you said. And maybe if I was the one who said it to me, I perceive masters as being like literally the creme de la creme of like the highest of the high, most wise. And, and, you know, if we want to get into the details of like what protocol specifically puts them in that category, that that can be what you said, or maybe it's more broad, but if I ever use the word master, it's just because they are the top tier of the wisest. All right. The next question is on incarnated angels. Have either of you heard of it? Know anything about it? What is your take on it? So I think it may have been Doreen Virtue who canned this title and, and put this out here. It's kind of like an earth angel. It's believed that they are angels that chose to incarnate into human form. I personally have never met one, never seen one, and I don't resonate with it in the slightest, to be honest. Well, I disagree. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and I have been seeing incarnating angels way before I ever heard of who Doreen Virtue was. In fact, Doreen Virtue only came into my radar in recent years when she kind of flipped the switch in her spiritual path. For me, I see incarnated angels all the time. Beings, souls who are here incarnate, they are angelic beings and there's different levels of them, different types of them. I've seen them over and over again. It's very much a big part of the way that I see some of the souls. I mean, there's so many categories of star seeds and beings here incarnate as souls. We do not all come from the exact same place or experiences. It's just like different people from different countries, bringing their culture into one space and contributing to some sort of collective, beautiful tapestry of experiences. Like I see this on a universal or dimensional plane too. And I definitely think that there are angelic beings that come here that come in as healers, as empaths, as light workers. And some of them are angelic beings that are trying to level up into a higher level of what it is to be an angel, maybe even closer up, you know, into like what I perceive to be the very, very high angels, which are almost these like pure, like miracle makers. And then there's angelic energies that I, I feel like are healers and very compassionate and and are here to help make the world a better place. And so there's so many levels of what I 
perceive to be angelics, you know, not always in the biblical sense, but yeah, I definitely see that. So I think this is where we may differ a little bit angelic. So when angels are of the highest vibrational frequency, just under source is the way I see it. There is such a huge division between the higher vibration of the angelic realm and the human vibration that I don't believe that an angel would sacrifice their vibrational frequency and their ability to be an all healing, all present being to come into this lower vibrational experience that we're all having because of karma and lessons. Like they don't need to do that shit. They, they've never had to go through that karmic cycle. They're above the incarnation cycle. However, if we use the word angelic, I believe we can call somebody an angelic person or an angelic being using the word angelic relating to a very high vibrational, um, someone that has the ability to, to heal. And there are certainly, you know, bodhisattvas and ascended masters who are humans that have transcended and have chosen to come back through. But I just see it would be like source to me, source deciding to, you know, come in as Joe Schmo and be a human. I, I just see them as such a division that I don't see them as crossing. No, I don't see it like that. I, because in my perception of it, I hear what you're saying. There are these close to source or one step out of source angels. And I, I don't necessarily see those as incarnate beings, but I think that there's many levels and layers of angels. And I think that in the realm of angels, angels are trying to ascend into a higher aspect of what an angel is. Like there's, you know, entry level angels, and then there's literally the highest and purest, like the holiest of holiest angels, just outside of the door of the most high source, God consciousness, you know? So that's how I see it. And I would categorize many different layers of different types of angels. Cause I've seen angels all have different types of wings, color wings, textured wings. I can tell sort of like what room or what level that they come from, like how high up they are. Just as we talk about ETs being from different density consciousness, you know, is this like a fifth dimensional consciousness or is this an eighth dimensional consciousness, which I don't always like the labels, but at the very least, I can say with angelic beings, I see them as there are many different types, many different levels. And I do see them as having their own purpose in trying to level up through their cycles and, and that they come in to assist and, and have their own um, purpose here. The way I see that you explain it is you perceive the very, very, the highest of the high angels. And I see those too, but I've never seen one of those ones incarnate in a human body ever. All right. So do you know anything about mermaids and the kind of abilities that possess their planet density and whether you have ever encountered one and do you consider them androgynous? Within shamanic medicine, if you look at some of the artistic renditions of the visions that people get specifically with ayahuasca, you'll notice that across the board, there's a lot of mermaids in the paintings. And one time before I sat in ceremony, I was looking at some of this artwork and I saw the mermaids and I thought, man, that would be so cool to see a mermaid. Like, I wonder if I could see one and sure enough, two or three of them showed up. And it was interesting because they didn't they weren't swimming horizontally through the space. They were actually vertical and kind of like wiggling back and forth as they moved towards me. And it was just for a moment, but I saw them, I saw the spirit, the energy of it. And 
I now understood why in those interdimensional visions of others that they saw them and painted them as they did. So in some dimensional plane, I believe mermaids exist. I've heard stories of aquatic sort of ET beings that exist that might be categorized as mermaids, but that is my only knowing or understanding of them. That's cool that you saw them. Did they have a gender? They looked particularly female, the ones that I saw, and they had, what can I say, a very mermaid quality. Like imagine what you feel when you think about mermaids and the the folklore of mermaids. They're sort of mysterious and magical and playful and beautiful and enchanting. And it felt like all of that. Very cool. So mermaids are elementals. They're liminal beings. They have immortal souls and they are thought to be here to, to guard the sea, to purify the waters, to work with the water element. They are also said to um, work with the ley lines that are within the ocean. And so they're here to be kind of a manifestation of water element is kind of how I feel about it. But also I can totally agree with you on aquatic ETs and that, uh, that energy as well. So I don't know of a specific planet where mermaids come from. Do you? No. And I've never had a direct conversation or contact with a mermaid. And if I ever do, I'll share it, but I'm going to sort of categorize them in the elemental fairy realm for what I experienced. But I think that the ET aquatic beings might be kind of different. I think that's a different energy, a different presence. Okay, next question. Can you tell us about the lineage of mystery schools, who your teachers have been and so on? I understand lineage is an important aspect of this type of work. I have a little bit of knowledge on mystery school. Every psychic class psychic school is not a mystery school. A mystery school has a very specific lineage. There are actually only seven today in the whole entire world. It believed that it originated in Lemuria, Atlantis, and that it has links to King Solomon. So originally it was a group of healers, of druids, of shamans, of oracles, healers, alchemists, and they all got together and they opened up this school. They were invited people that were high in the healing arts and the shamanic arts were invited to come in as seers and work together to help teach others these healing techniques that would be spread out throughout the world. And they went underground during different, you know, times of being threatened by organized religion and they still exist, but they're very private. And again, there's seven within the world. So The lineage is really, really important. They're all pretty much lead back to King Solomon in some place in the lineage, but uh, that's kind of what I understand of mystery schools. I want to go to one. I want to be invited to a mystery school. I didn't know any of that. That's, I mean, I've heard that term mystery school and I kind of had some sense of what it was, but I didn't know it went that deep. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What personal inner work do you feel one needs to do to be able to tap into the ET world? Can anyone call them in or do you need to be on a different frequency? This is clearly a Jude question. (laughs) Um, I definitely think that being on a different frequency or having a specific DNA code or being a certain type of star seed incarnate would definitely influence it being a lot easier Now the question is, can anybody tap into it? 
You know, I want to say yes, but I, I guess I, what I want to say is the road will be more challenging for some than others, you know, and just be like a, a bigger stretch and a bigger reach to align yourself to them than others. And then I also believe that it's within our soul contracts, whether or not we are meant to, or prepared to, you know, as we said you know, these higher beings, they know better than us sometimes what we can handle and what we can't. We might be sitting here thinking like, oh, I can totally handle this and do it. And I tell you this, that I am somebody who sees ETs and has contacts and I freak out still, you know, it's, I still have moments of like, holy cow, this is really intense. Like, um, and I couldn't imagine what that might be like for somebody who's never had an ET experience, you know? So it's still shocking to me. And is there anything that we can do, any inner work or anything that we can do with our frequency to allow us to connect or help us get closer to connecting? Yeah, I think everything in terms of healing, spiritual healing, you know, the more clarity and alignment we have in our energy, the higher we vibrate and higher we vibrate, the more closer to these higher vibrational beings we can connect to. I think it's absolutely one, it goes hand in hand. So do the personal work do the healing, align your energy, you will have a greater chance of being able to connect with higher beings. Okay. Next question. My husband and I have been watching Skinwalker Ranch on the history channel, and there's been a lot of weird phenomenon happening in the area. They have a team of astrophysicists and researchers that have been conducting a lot of tests, but each time they do, they'll either have a technical shutdown that prevents them from collecting data or someone gets really nauseous and would have to postpone the experiment. UFOs start showing up and animals act strange. I was thinking one of you could go down there and see what you make of it. LOL. <laughs> I, I or would for love you. your opinion. <laughs> you know, what's so funny is I really want to go there. Actually, I've been talking, I think it's in Utah and my very good friend is in Utah and I've talked to her about it a couple of times. I'm like, when you go to Utah, I want to go there and let's go to Skinwalker Ranch. And she's totally the same way. Like you need to go. Maybe she wrote the question. <laughs> what now? What? I'm not familiar with this. What is Skinwalker Ranch? Is I it an actual ranch? I don't know a ton about it, but it's basically a, a plot of land that there's a lot of phenomenal activity and strange occurrences that happen there. And so, okay, there's a show on the history channel that I think I might've caught about 10 minutes of ever. So I'm not really that invested in it. Obviously with TV shows, things tend to be sensationalized and scripted. So, you know, I always have an air of like skepticism around how accurately the story is being portrayed to us, but I do believe that perhaps that there's something going there. I've had heard Skinwalker Ranch mentioned on podcasts. I was listening actually recently to Coast to Coast with George Norrie and somebody was being interviewed that lived in proximity to Skinwalker Ranch and was talking about some of the experiences they had as a kid seeing weird things. So it's just basically a really strong portal spot where a lot of phenomenon is happening. That's essentially what I take it to be. And yes, I would absolutely love to go there and check it out. If anyone wants to uh, fund that trip to get a download, <laughs> I'll do it. I volunteer. I'm so curious. If I ever make it there, I'll be sure to share, but I definitely get a strong sense there's something going on there. And I'm just as curious as you. Very cool. I'd never even heard of that. I'm gonna have to look for that show now. Okay, next question. I saw Bigfoot or Sasquatch about 20 years ago. I spoke to my grandfather about it and he didn't bat an eye and said that he had heard stories of other people seeing it there as well. 
Some people think I've lost my marbles, but I know what I saw. About three years ago, there was another sighting on the same exact road. Have, have either of you seen it? Isn't an ET or some type of interdimensional being? I have seen it. And it was really funny because it's kind of like I was looking out on the horizon and I saw it walk by and it took me a moment to be like, wait, was that like, it's not like I jumped up and down and started screaming. It was just this interesting, I don't know how to explain it. Um, kind of like if you see a ghost, you're kind of like, wait, what was it? Did I just see that? So while I knew I clearly saw it, it took me a moment to process it. So I have seen it. And my opinion, and Jude, I'm curious to hear about if you believe it's an ET, I believe that Bigfoot exists and I believe that it's a, a, a liminal being kind of like gnomes or fairies or, or other elementals. It's this, this liminal being that some of us are able to see or we're able to see at certain times when it allows itself to be seen. So it could be an ET. I'm curious, Jude, do you see it as an ET or as a liminal being or how do you, or have you ever seen it? First of all, I never knew that you've had a sighting <laughs> of all the things being in humble with really? you. I can't believe we've never talked about that before. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I personally have never seen one. So this is very interesting because I actually just had recently had a very big download about all of this. If you listen to the last episode, I think we were talking about ancient sites that we visited and there was this one place that I went to and I saw this reptile like being, I saw it from far away, peeking through this cave. If you want to listen to the story, it's on that episode. Well, just recently I was taking a hike to Kalalau, my very first time here on Kauai and a lizard person appeared. Okay. But this time they were not far away. They were right next to me. And there was actually an exchange of dialogue between me and it. And I had a moment to really soak in what this thing was and how it works in comparison to this third dimensional plane. I saw it as an interdimensional being that was in very close resonance to our third dimensional being, but not like a fifth dimensional being. So just to break this down for you, we really see Lemurians as fifth dimensional beings because they have a higher level of consciousness. They're very heart centered. They're very healing. They're very loving. Now, when I've seen these lizard beings, there's a lower kind of intensity about them. I don't think that they're all gracious and loving and sweet. They're intense to the point where it's very intimidating to be around them. Now, the ones that I encountered were non-threatening, but they definitely jolted me in a little bit of fear, which I think if I had saw a Bigfoot, I would probably have felt the same way. So I theorize that these beings are interdimensional beings that are very close in resonance to the third dimensional plane, but just out of phase enough that normally we wouldn't see them unless you had the eye to be able to see them just as Patty had said. And it is in my opinion that perhaps that the Bigfoots or these uh, lizard-like beings that I uh, encounter might have the ability to shift their energy field so human beings could see them on occasion. Now, in Hawaii, there's a lot of story of the mo'o, which they talk about these lizard beings. And I've heard the stories in and out. I've lived here basically for almost 20 years on and off. I've never encountered any lizard beings, but 
since my trip to Peru where I saw those ones. And now I've just seen one again recently here. The second I saw it, I was like, oh, this is the mo'o. This is, this is what they're talking about. And I saw it in this very peculiar place where there was this black stone jutting out in the middle of nowhere. It was far out. That's all I got to say. But that's my take on it. I think that, like you said, it would be in the category of fairy gnome realm. They are higher consciousness beings that work from a space of like telepathy and energy, but I do not see them as like these super loving, healing, high vibrational, interdimensional beings. I think that they're kind of running on a little bit more of a lower frequency and they're a bit intense. And I think that they could bend their energy for us to see them if they wanted. I imagine it would probably take them a lot of energy to do it or inadvertently without knowing maybe their energy bends into our uh, plane on occasion. And this is when a sighting happens, when both frequencies are matching, because like I said, I see them as very close, but just out of phase with each other. I think we agree on that one. What do you know about nature-based spirituality? Is it something you practice? Is it Wicca? Can you recommend any good books on it? Nature-based spirituality is pretty much earth and nature worship. It's where people see nature as an embodiment of the divine. They really work with the earth cycles, with the seasons. They see rocks, planets, elements as sacred and respect them. It's it's kind of like a form of animism where they believe that everything ha- is a being, that a plant is a being, and it has its own soul. So it's it's something that a lot of indigenous tribes have worked with, and it's very respectful and loving and grounding and earth-based in that you treat the earth as if it were another being, another, you know, just as high as a human, human spirit. And then Wicca, a lot of people are confused about Wicca. Wicca is actually considered a modern religion. It was established in the 1950s kind of the earlier 1950s, and it's a mix of different European folk religions. So Wicca is not early witchcraft. You know, no Wiccans were burned at the stake, and I do not practice Wicca. But Wicca does have aspects of nature-based spirituality within it. So I hope that helps answer your question. Great answer. Okay, last question. Are there any food or drinks you both stay away from because you find these substances affect your communication with source? I stay away from caffeine, alcohol, fluoride, toothpaste, sugar, because they impact the pineal gland. Anything to add? Um, Personally, for me, I love caffeine. It's my vice. I like it. I don't see it as interfering. Um, Maybe it does for some people. It doesn't seem to for me. Alcohol definitely will block intuitive insight because it's a depressant. Fluoride, I've heard that. I don't use fluoride just based on research that I've looked up, but I don't have any personal experience as far as whether or not fluoride does anything specific. And they say sugar definitely is not, can kind of clog the airways. And I agree with that, actually. Uh, I think that like a very clean, diet of light, easily digestible foods that are whole foods from nature and not changed like pickled or aged or anything like that. Definitely will keep the system the most clear, like whole fruits and vegetables, things like that. To me, what I don't add is like the chemicals, the man-made crap. It's the 
the fake sugars and um, the certain pharmaceuticals, you know, I do take ibuprofen on occasion, but I really try not to take stuff like that because I think it definitely does interfere and it sort of coats the system and doesn't allow energy to flow. But I'm also a human being and I'm, you know, I eat Cheetos once in a while. Okay. You know, <laughs> so um, I'm nobody's perfect. Everything in moderation. They're, they're, I'm a hard no on certain things, specifically fake sugar. I think that stuff's really bad. I can feel that stuff if it's in anything. I avoid it. Other than that, the other stuff is pretty like straightforward as far as chemicals or man-made pharmaceuticals that aren't absolutely necessary to take. I try to stay away from anything that I don't have to put in my body. Good answer, Jude. I, I totally agree with you. Sugar can be my alcohol. I, I never really ate sugar until COVID, which is really weird. I don't know what the hell happened there, but I can have a little bit of sugar and it just makes me feel kind of high and good. If I have too much, it floats me out of my body and can trigger anxiety. And I feel like I lose my connection, but I totally agree with you on fake sugars. And I actually, this is interesting, have had some health issues come up as of late, which they think the culprit is Advil, which is ibuprofen. And it actually has manifested in something that has blocking uh, my energy flowing and therefore blocking my chi. So ibuprofen is something that I no longer use. Yeah. And I've only recently been taking ibuprofen because I've been beating up my body. And, would, and I remember when I first took it, I was like, oh, geez, why haven't I been taking this longer? Because it's alleviating some of the pain I'm feeling. But since I have been taking it in comparison to never taking it, I can definitely feel a difference. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, that is our list of questions for this episode. Thank you all for sending in your questions for those of you that participated. We are so happy to have been doing this for three years now, and we feel so at home with all of you and our spiritual community and you lift us up and support us and validate us. And that means the world to us. So thank you to all of you listeners out there. Yes. Thank you for all the great feedback. Thank you for the donations. Thank you for chiming in with us on our Instagram at Spirit Speakers Podcast. And as you know, you can always check out what Patty and I have going on on our website, spiritspeakerspodcast.com. So with that, until next time, aloha. Take care. Take care.